Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Business from the Bass Boat Podcast on the Serious Angler Network, powered by X2 Power. And guys, today we have an awesome show lined up. I just got done with iCast, went and traveled there, had a great time. It was just a great time. It was a first-time experience for me at iCast. Got to meet with a lot of folks within the industry and uh, make some face-to-face connections with folks that we've had on the podcast before. So that was a really cool experience. And today's show has been in the hopper for a long time. It's been one I've been trying to set up for a while here. He's a busy guy and am glad to get this thing going. Um, the brand has always had to me a cult like following it's incredible brand loyalty with guys in this, in this industry. And when it comes to a quality high quality bass boat to me in my eyes there's nothing more appealing to me than a, than a bass cat when it comes to that and we've got rick pierce the president of bass cat boats coming on to talk bass boats the industry and bass cat in general so without further ado let's bring rick in rick how are you morning adam how's everything good good how's the, i bet uh it's probably pretty hot in mountain home well, we got a little spell last night. Yesterday we were up at a hundred degree range, but today it's a little cooler. We got a, actually we had had about an eighth inch of a rain over the last sixty days or so, right in Mountain Home. And last night we got an inch and three quarters, so life's a little brighter today. Let's go. Yeah. Well, here I'm. I'm out here in Colorado, out west, and uh, it has been honestly very hot. 90s sunny and last night same deal i don't know how much rain we got but i would i would venture to say it was i don't know quarter to half an inch it was quite a bit of rain and uh that's that's good you're like us you can use it yeah yes exactly that's exactly right um well rick you are right in the middle i just would love to get a little bit of a, a background on your end on on what's going on right now for you and for bass cat boats i mean we're in the end of july here um, as we kind of talked pre-show, this is when uh, 2023 boats are rolling and, and all that kind of a thing. I mean, what's what's kind of going on in your world right now? Well, the Coast Guard gives us a period of time between June 1 and August 1 to release new product. Okay. And characteristically, that's a new, that's a new setup over the last four years. Before that, it was August 1. It was a confirmed date. You had to set up August 1. That's when model year happened legally. Now, okay. people would skirt that. They'd get in early, get your little hand slapped by the Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, technically, we've tried to stay August 1. This year, we didn't. And with COVID last year, we didn't. We've kind of picked a July 1 date since they've given us a 60-day range. And uh, we've picked July 1 is to try to do our release now. And it's going to work out pretty good. We've got product shipping that's 23. We do have a little 22 product shipping because of some of the back orders that we've dealt with with supply chain. But that's just stuff that we can't get the product for. So everybody's fighting that if you're buying a two by four. So, right. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, and that's something that I did, I did want to bring up and was just um, curious just with, with how everything is going now uh, in our economy. Um, We've got input costs going up with almost any producer when it comes down to things. I mean, how much of an effect does this have on uh, just like anything else? But in the bass boat market, I mean, I would assume that all your material costs are are substantially on the rise at this point. Yeah, I know um, everybody's facing increased prices of, you know, gasoline's a big topic today. Mm-hmm. You know, gasoline's probably going to be in that $3 plus range. That's a normal number. I mean, They've got to make money to pump it, so you can't expect these oil companies not to make a profit. So they're definitely going to find a number that's somewhere under where we're at today. But it's certainly impacted our costs going forward on resin and glass. We saw one of our resins go up 39% over the last 18 months. Wow. So it's definitely been an impact. Um, Fiberglass last year was just a one-time 17% increase. Okay. And so carpet went up and we bumped the carpet number up also by going to a heavier grade, but it went up exponentially also. So there's definitely some impacts that have hit the market. Um, Engines are going up and uh, uh, electronics have gone up some, but really I think they are living more on the development side of things. So as they bring new electronics, the price changes, and I think development keeps them in front of it a little better on the electronics side. 
Okay. And, and on the on the other side of it, you know, labor's definitely an increase. You know, when you got McDonald's Good paying point. what McDonald's pays to get somebody to work a window, you're certainly <laughs> seeing a labor pressure that's going on the market, and that has to come back to somebody. And then you can't expect inflation not to go up if you're raising the price tag of the grocery store checker, you're raising the price tag of the um, the housekeeping staff at the hotel, and you're raising all of these wages, then there's certainly going to be an impact on the CPI. And, sure. and, and that's where we're at today. And we all have inflation going through the roof, just like it did. And I, I know, Adam, you're a little young for this, but I mean, <laughs> we saw this in 1980, 82. Yeah. And that's, and that's something, Rick, I mean, just doing my due diligence on the show, um, the history video on the Basscat website was awesome to watch. And, and for those ever interested in the background on this brand and, um, uh, that's what makes it so cool. I mean, I got chills watching it. I, I love, I love stories like that in the business world. It's why I started the show, uh, for specifically more into the bass fishing and outdoor industry, but those kinds of situations. And that's a, a big topic I wanted to cover with you today was, I mean, the eighties, I, I, you know, I hear stories all the time outside of the podcast. I work in the farm and ranch real estate world, and it's very interesting to talk to farmers that were around in the eighties and the land crisis and all this stuff. And it, it blows me away. And, and like you said, I'm just trying to educate myself as much as I can as we're kind of getting these economic times. But, um, I, I just would love to hear your thought process on, you know, as we're kind of rolling into this inflationary time, we've got, uh, the recession on, you know, coming at us, that kind of a situation. I, the only one I lived through, right, was 2008, and, and that's it for me. <laughs> but I would love to hear over the years kind of the differences for Basscat during those times. You know, you know, what were your main struggles? Oh, well, and we've had struggles going all the way back to the 1970s and the Yom Kippur War and Arab embargo. <clears throat> we go through the 80-82 range and Jimmy Carter era and interest rates that were off the hook. We hope that the Fed... I know they did a 0.75 basis yesterday. I hope that Fed's kind of getting done with that, and they're going to let this thing balance a little bit, and we'll get this to normal. And kids your age, and I don't mean to call you a kid, but kids your age, my kids, <laughs> they're your age. They don't. They my 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 son, who is an investment person, and he is a uh, level three financial analyst. Oh wow! And, and so uh, he um, he turns around and says, "Man, this is going to kill us because interest are just going to kill us." And I'm like, guys. I remember when we thought 7% on home was a real bargain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's not going to kill you. It's just going to change and your costs are going to change and you have to refocus. But the, there's a 20 year culture of America that hasn't seen interest rates like we've got in coming Good at point. us. Yeah. So yeah. there's no doubt that it's going to change the way it is. And, and, um, and boats have gone up, you know, I, I'm not surprised we're at a hundred thousand. I mean, I go through with what boats did and, and I've said this, you've probably heard me say it. Um, you know, I remember when it went from two to three, 4,000 to 5,000 to 6,500 and then 7,500. And we went to 8,500. We went to 10 grand, 12, five, 15, you know, 15 to 18 to 19 to 20, 20 to 25, 25 to 30. And, you know, when they got to be 30 grand, I was like, dad and I were talking one day and he says, man, how can people afford these? I said, dad, they've always afforded them. I said, the numbers are going to change. People are going to change. Things are going to change, but the product's going to sell and people will want them. But what did shock me is that the span that it took us to get from an $80,000 boat to a $100,000 boat. You're saying it shocked you because it was such a quick span or? or yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's driven by a lot of things. Everybody doesn't realize, you know, power poles didn't come out, but about 15 years ago to really start getting popular. Mm-hmm. So you go through power poles, you go through all the target lock, active target stuff, um, spot lock trolling motors. There are so many things that have developed. And, you know, uh, uh, Mike Iaconelli had the first boat with four graphs on it. And what people didn't realize, everybody got teed up. He had two big graphs and we put two uh, five or seven inch elites on them. And five so, or seven uh, Mike, years. Think about how small that is to now. Yeah, to but Mike's purpose in those small units that people don't realize. And that drove a whole new thing to start running dual units. Yeah. And I'll give Mike credit on that, but that his purpose was actually full backup, just like an ignition in a NASCAR car. So he didn't have the other two units on all day. 
Yeah. If you had a problem with the unit, he just flipped a switch and he had two units running. There you go. And so it was a backup thing for him. And Mike, we've set that boat up for Mike for years that way. But then that drove an entire um, difference in people. Well, I've got to have two graphs, two GPS, one chart, you know, run a sonar, run a chart, run my so side imaging, run my chart. Wow. So the original purpose, though, was just for a backup. It wasn't to, to have two different things to look at. He literally just yeah. wanted to have a backup. And it changed a little bit when guys went on the down low because Hummingbird's got great side imaging. We worked with Hummingbird years ago on side imaging. Sure. And so when the 997 SIs came out and guys had to have them and you're running at the time they were running Lawrence, a lot of people. Well, you had your, then Lawrence had no side imaging. So you had this 997 hiding under the dash. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, we them on the down low. And it's, it's just cool to see the, the cyclical nature of this and with everything. But I mean, you look at now, you're looking at elite series guys that have maybe been locked into a brand and then they're running a Garmin live scope up front. Right. And then they're getting in trouble for doing it because it was kind of the first and then, you know, and so it's, it's interesting to hear that those stories were also happening when side imaging came out and when all these, these new technology oh, yeah. came out, guys have always been doing the same deal. They, they did it with Lawrence down imaging because Lawrence came out with that down imaging first. So you had Lawrence down imaging being run on the low and you had side imaging being run on the low side and people not even knowing it was done. And, um, you know, but I tell you, Adam, back to topic, I was shocked at how fast we went by a hundred thousand. Sure. I mean, I knew it was coming. I figured we'd set around 90 for a while, but we didn't really. We passed 100 like it was sitting still. And so it's, it's really teed up a lot by equipment. That's what we started talking about. This is like when we got power poles and, you know, we run more hydraulic jack plates than we've ever run. And used to be we'd run one out of 15, one out of 20 boats would be a hydraulic jack plate. And today it's almost every boat. Mm hmm. So you start adding a thousand, two thousand dollars here, a thousand, two thousand dollars there, a couple grand a piece or more on power poles. All of a sudden, you've got guys that are going to what the new target lock system the Thumbbird's got, um, and you, you've got the beat down mounts, and you've got you know BBT mounts, and all of a sudden this is all just costing more and more and more, That's and unfair. so the price tag batteries go up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, and I, I think about that too. I've got I've got a Phoenix Seven Twenty One, and I look at the the boat and the model cost, and then I think about how much of this is actually in the graphs that I have, in the batteries that I have, in all the different things, and I and I'm I'm looking at it like, you know, it, you're right. It makes sense why it, people are 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 up in arms about hundred thousand dollar boats, but when it comes down to it. It's not. It's not just the the fiberglass in the boat anymore. It's it's all the accessories, uh, and they're just going to continue. I mean, I, I think yeah. that this is just a trend that's going to keep going. And you've you're already seeing guys like Taku running three graphs at the console and three graphs up front, and now he's six graphs. I mean, it's just it's just incredible. Well, you know, the the thing that really hadn't caught on as much as I thought it should or would, and that's the guys running an iPad with mapping. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so there's not as much of that as I really feel like there needs to be because I think a real opportunity to run a, you know, whatever amount you do on your iPad and run it on mapping and run that separate. So you got all your chart, all your sonar, and then you got side imaging and you got your iPad over here. And I mean, I would imagine, no matter, I know, of course, you know, I've fished at those levels. It would be a huge tool on a river system or something like that to be able to actually look at what you're doing while you're there. At the, yeah. Well, I've always thought that way too. And, um, back when I had an older boat too, like I, I, a good way, I mean, economically too, just from a graphs perspective, I looked at the iPad thing and actually had one mounted and then could take it in, you know, to the hotel room at night. But I mean, I could get a, I could get an iPad for 600 bucks. And then, I mean, in comparison to a graph price that can only be on the boat. And now I could have this iPad that I can do other things with, not just right. My traditional mapping but uh no I, I i it's just i don't know that that is something that i agreed didn't take off as much as i thought i think folks maybe just want something that's consistent and always on their boat and and have that graph just just set up the way it is um but you know i'm curious too back to the interest rate you know topic of of we just just found out another three-quarter point jump on interest rates i mean 
in the market in your eyes and and uh you know how many bass boats in, in our world are financed versus cash pay i mean what percentage do you think that number sits at well the majority of our product there's a lot of it financed today most of the guys are handling their own financing though they're they are they're professional people and they're financing it, but they're financing it through their bank or their own source. So yeah. it's not like they're using dealer financing for most of our product. Oh, okay. Okay. So usually the dealer financing, that, that was a big deal. I'm going to say 10, 12, 15 years ago, more dealer financing through Bank of the West and others. Mm-hmm. Today, it's, you know, State Farm had a great program at one time. Okay. And so today it's more down the line of the individuals handling it with their own institutions. And they actually probably have the funding for a lot of our customer base to pay for the boat. Sure. But they just prefer, you know, it's like you go to buy brand ABC tractor and I don't want to get into brands, but um, <laughs> if you're buying a tractor, you can, you can get it and get X amount off of it, or you can have them finance it for 1.2%. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that can afford it, they'll just say, hey, go ahead and put it on five year 1.2 and I'll keep my money in the bank and I'll make money with my money. And then I'll pay these guys 1.2% and I'm going to come out ahead. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that going on right now that is just choice. Sure. And then um, then there's some other people that are able to tie their boats to their businesses. So they've got that as a write off, too. So there's just all sorts of corners everyone's doing on boat financing. But the majority of our customers, and I'm going to say probably today, I mean, I'm going to be a little conservative in the number, but 60 percent, they can afford to write the check. You're saying, yeah, they, they could. Yeah. And that's a, that's an interesting thing too, is I think that, um, just as, as I've, and I've been able to network on the farm ranch real estate side with folks, it's, I've always been, you know, grown up kind of more with the mindset of, of not taking on debt and this kind of a thing, but I've learned to see the value of what guys can do that can take on debt and do because they can, they can put money in a lot of other places and, and make money on that money. And, um, another aspect, like you said, the business side, and that's what this show is really about. I mean, and I'm set up now on my, uh, and all of my fishing stuff tax wise and all that sort of thing. And right into your podcast show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And writing off the interest expense. And, and so there's, there's some of that that goes into play and depreciating out a boat. And so it's, it's interesting to see that side of it too. And like you said, having the, if you can somehow incorporate your boat into your business, even if it's not into fishing related, if you can show advertising in some manner. Definitely. We got some customers have their own businesses and they entertain with them and they honestly do entertain. It's not like they're just using it. They take your customers fishing. Yeah. And so they're able to do that. And it's a legal situation and, and it's to entertain their customers. And there's some of them that just like anything that abuse it, those guys will get caught. And oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> just like guys that don't have a farm and get a farm exemption. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. They'll get caught. You mentioned the farmers, you know, some of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So they'll get caught and that's, that'll be between them and the IRS. But, uh, sure. certainly, um, there are those that are valid and they're good. But, uh, you know, I think that today you look at, interest in price tag of boats it's just been driven to the point where it's equipment that people want to price tags up there and um you know there's no doubt we're going to outprice some people in the marketplace sure Um, that happens every time a cycle like this happens um and it's just one of those difficult things where people want want the best yeah we've taken boats to the point where they can be really expensive no doubt no, and and I've always kind of viewed bass boats as a as a market as a whole. And this is again an outsider's perspective. You're the guy on this topic, but as a premium premium product. I mean, you're talking about guys who are are spending a lot of money on an asset or, or on a on something that they're that some guys aren't using all that much. I mean, it's it's a situation where that premium level thing. There's there's almost uh, people it's such a passionate thing that people maybe leave a blind eye sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, and that's, and that's what I love about it is people are so passionate about this and that, that makes people spend money on things like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt that there's, there are people that are into it from a regional perspective, a local perspective. Um, and it's like anything, it's just no different than a guy who buys a new set of golf clubs or a new golf sure. cart. Um, and he belongs, he pays his membership to the golf club. And he's part of the country club and he, he loves to play, you know, 27 holes a week or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. 
plays eight, 18 on Saturday, 18 on Sunday, and plays nine on Wednesday, you know. And, Wednesday nights, yeah. Yeah, there's guys like that that do it. And, you know, and I, I was young. My dad loved to play golf, and he could play scratch golf once in a while. And guys my age he was playing against. And I said, Dad, you got to figure out whether you want to you want to play or you, you want to enjoy it or you want to go do it right. Because if you're going to do it right, you're gonna, those guys are playing 36 holes on Saturday. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. And so, you know, and, and fishing's the same thing. And people are wound up into it. They want to fish at every opportunity. They fish every Wednesday night jackpot. They fish uh, Saturday in a circuit. And they're meeting their buddy on Sunday. And they're taking Friday off work to pre-fish. And others are in it at a different level. They go hard at it just straight up. And so it's really a cool sport. And we've seen a lot of that come up and change with the youth coming into it. So that's a good thing. It kind of hasn't impacted the boat age. I just saw a number on the boat age and the average consumer buying a bass boat, a fiberglass bass boat today. That number just came out the other day, 51. Mm -hmm. I saw the guys uh, at Best on Tour uh, email subscription posted that, that it was it was 51. And that's uh, it's crazy to me to hear stats like that. Um, did you what what was your first take at that? Did you think that that was pretty accurate? Were you thinking it was going to be? I think as a market, it's accurate. It's skewed. Um, I don't know what where Best on Tour got their number. Yeah. yeah. And It uh, may have been from the same place. Dave does a good job with that, that deal, and that's a really good setup. Best on Tour, good data, good information. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm sure that Dave's got it right. But, uh, you know, I, the number I have was fiberglass boats. Our average consumer right now as a brand is about 45.6. Okay. Okay. So we're a little younger than, the, and we have been a little younger, believe it or not. Uh, best, best, best data we ever had was um, back in the um, JD Power days. Okay. And our average consumer was quite a bit younger than our competitions. I see, I see, and that's got to be somewhat of an advantage, right? Because maybe you're locking that guy in at a younger age. Well, it, it gets him tied into the brand with a tremendous amount of loyalty. I don't know. You know, you, you mentioned it was almost a cult earlier, and that's been called a cult before. But <laughs> um, this is going to shock you. But we just did a study last year, and okay. we, had, we did a study about every three years, and our loyalty rate's 94.6%. Wow. So you wow. own one today, you're probably buying another one. 94. <laughs> wow. That is incredible. And that's, and no, and that's, that's my viewpoint of it is just, um, I have a lot of friends that are bass cat guys and I have always loved bass cat boats and, and just the, the support that those guys have. I mean, you know, it's gonna, it, 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 you're right. It, it, they are not ever, you know, they might be on their sixth, seventh bass cat at this point, you know, and, yeah. and that's, that's just, uh, that's what's so cool about this is that I've always I've, I've got a guy that I won't say who he is or where he's at because he may not want to know, but he just changed and went to another model, went down a little bit because he's aging. Uh-huh. And and this is his 17th one. Wow. And he's just a retail guy, loves to get a new one every now and then, makes good money, has a good job, wonderful guy, great family. And he's on his 17th basket. Wow. That is that is awesome. That's incredible. Um one topic I wanted to get into today, Rick, was the West Coast support. So I I have seen from afar the amount Basscat puts into stuff. I'll be I fish our ABAs, our local ABA Western stuff. There so I'll be competing for a Basscat in on Havasu, and then hopefully also on Coeur d'Alene in Idaho. Fish so both of those Craig's deal, yeah. 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 And, and, uh, that's, what's so cool. I, I love that on that final day, we're competing for a basket now. And, um, the support out West, I feel like has always been a lot of basket driven, a lot of the tournament series. Uh, I had Ken Ma on most recently here on the podcast and good guy, man, good guy, phenomenal episode. And, and, uh, we were talking self-promotion and sponsorship and he just had some great insight on that, but we were talking about the basket championship out West. And I wanted to get any of your thoughts if there's any more details around that, but also just uh, wanted to say thanks from the West Coast guys. I'm Colorado here. I'm not fully West Coast, but I fish a lot of the Western stuff, and um, I see it. You know, I, I really do, and I think I think people do. Um, and just wanted to get some of your thoughts on that, and then also the championship. Well, Colorado is kind of no man's land to some, like New Mexico. But you honestly, yeah, you, you <laughs> fall into the West Coast, honestly. Yeah. So that's where you're at. Anything what I consider West Coast runs 
used to be include North and South Dakota. Today it goes to edge of North and South Dakota okay. and it flips everything kind of West of Wichita. Sure. Kansas. So that's kind of West coast, everything kind of West of Wichita and a line actually goes down through San Antonio area, you know, so it's kind of everything West of that. And sure. you can say Odessa Midland and, and Abilene, all that's a little different Amarillo, but uh, they are really are West coast. Those guys will go to elephant Butte or they'll go somewhere else to go to Powell or they'll wind up fishing OHIV. Lake so you Indiana, never know where they're going to go. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll run West for sure. Yeah. But uh, the West coast, when you, where you're at, you're on the edge of what really is the West coast of, fishing and you go to fishing one bass opens and fish the u.s open and you wind up with what you're doing with aba and aba is a cool format we've challenged craig and them to kind of grow that format so we've got a true white space development going on the west and we've given them believe it or not colorado's one we want craig to grow in we want more events there for aba yeah so this is definitely a conversation we're having with craig we want to do more in northern utah want to really use the ABA as a starter on the West Coast to get more people at a base grassroots level involved. Mm -hmm. So this is a three-tier program that um, on the West Coast that we've kind of taken in. It goes into where we started with one bass. Then we picked up Wild West with Jeremy. And Jeremy and we were talking to Jeremy in 18 and 19. We came together in fall of 19. So it's pretty fresh for us what's happened out West. And there was a real change in the culture out West. The West Coast, uh, Adam, the line at one time, that line that we just talked about, everything West, mm-hmm. is, and I've said this publicly, you've heard it, I'm sure, is 7.5% of the market at one time. Wow. So there's just That's not awesome. a huge market. And if you take Arizona and California out of it, you're, you're talking – yeah, that's the right. The whole yeah. West Coast. That's that's Washington, Oregon, Idaho. Idaho. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there is some multi-species boats up there that are walleye, sure. but even them, they impact the market very little. So it's a small market. So what we're hoping is we can get more ABAs involved and grow the West Coast. We want to grow fishing on the West Coast. I'm sure you've heard us say that. Yeah. But we want to not just, I don't care if they're trout fishing. I don't care if we got a walleye event, you know, somewhere that nobody's thought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is, let's grow fish and get people engaged. Give them something to fish. Let's go fish for sunfish on Havasu because there's not probably a better place to fish for them in the country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then let's go, uh, let's go to Clear Lake and have an awesome crappie event, you know. Oh, yeah. So let's go do these things where these places are. I mean, they, they go to Bear Lake and, and fish for trout. Let's have a trout derby, you know. Yeah. Let's do a lot of stuff and let's grow fishing as a, as a sport. And there are more people on the West Coast. That's one thing that they got a lot of water, a lot of people. And I don't know if you followed this. And I don't know if Ken led into it. And I didn't watch that podcast. Yeah. But um, one of our goals is small and find a small reservoirs people don't go to. Yeah, Ken and I had some conversation with that off air of just uh, there's a lot of these incredible fisheries that aren't really talked about. And that's kind of the apex deal, right? As far that's as the apex deal, it's what we kept, we're kicking apex off with is going places people don't go. And, you know, you look at what Trinity Whiskey Town, um, what they've done going to Alamore, looking yeah. at going into Thermalito After Bay, places people just don't go. Mm-hmm. And they've got some great fishing. Now, if we make that popular and you take a young man that's you know, 20, 21 years old, and he's used to going, let's just say he's used to going to Oroville. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden today, you know, Oroville, as you know, has had water challenges, always got water challenges. Well, today, maybe he just winds up going to the after bay and catching a lot of fish. And the after bay really does fish very good. And, you know, you, you can have some small rep impoundments that are some of them natural, some of them not, but there's just a lot of hidden water out there. Oregon is a untouched resource really and i and i didn't know that There's yeah untouched water. almost no boat sales almost no bass boats almost nobody do you realize oregon doesn't have a limit on bass really like a five you fish get what you want no limit no link limit Jeez, oh, wow so you go into oregon and you say there's a few places that do but most overall have none wow. and so it's seen as a trash fish out there so they're trying to protect trout and things and trout is its own. Like I said, let's just get people fishing sure. in the Columbia river gorge and what goes through Oregon coming off of that. There's some amazing, amazing smallmouth fishing. Yeah. World-class. You, you yeah. look at Ponderay, um, going all the way up into, um, Idaho. 
and there's just wonderful small reservoirs and yeah. you can't get hardly any better than um, Fort Peck up there. I was going to say Montana, you got Fort Peck and uh, no, and that, and I have heard so many stories about that place. The only negative that I've heard there, especially talking fiberglass boats is it is a 30 minute gravel drive to get there, yeah. you know? So you yeah, Mike be, Dominic goes in and out of there all the time. Matter of fact, he had that uh, military event there last week and, okay. yeah, and it's, um, but it's an awesome place. And, but all of these places are up and down the snake river or wherever, you know, they're just, you know, you look at flaming gorge, uh, there's just a lot of places. There's little places right outside of Salt Lake City that small reservoirs that are great. Mm -hmm. And so we're really looking at trying to grow fishing as a whole and events that for people never thought they'd be. Yeah. And, and I mean, to that point too, I mean, Utah is seeing a big population increase right now, right? We're seeing a lot of people go to St. George and these different places, but I'm curious in your mindset with all of this to grow fishing, but also Bass Cat as a brand, how much are you looking at population stuff, maybe where wealth is distributed? I mean, is that, are those factors that go into, Hey, maybe we need to strategically look West or maybe the Northeast or whatever that may be. I mean, is that, are those things that come into play? We've challenged uh, chase and uh, um, the, the folks and uh, the folks at Bassmaster uh -huh. and we're going to work harder with Bassmaster on that to work on the Northeast side. Hmm. So the Northeast is a very similar number to the West Coast. Low percentage of the market, you're saying? A low percentage of the market. And okay. we can't pioneer a country. Uh-huh. And we can't pioneer the West. Which you look at the West and what we're doing with the uh, shootout we're going to have out there. Yeah. And uh, that's going to hopefully open up. Now, we were unable to set a date on the shootout. That's something that we're doing. We're just now doing. Okay. We had a target date and we've got a date and we've had to really work with the Coliseum. We're waiting on an answer out of the Coliseum we've got or the convention center we've got right now. Mm -hmm. And as we get that answer, we can finish our plans out West as to where we go and what we do. Yeah. Um, we had to have a date out of MLF on when was the red crest. And so with Bass and the classic announcement, it kind of trumped MLF's plans. And so MLF had to regroup a little bit. And Michael Malone got that done. He's kind of set that up now. So once we got that a couple of weeks ago, you know, they announced that just ahead of ICAST. Yep, that's so right. So now we've got a Red Crest date. So if we got a Red Crest date, we can go ahead and finish our plans out west. Makes sense. And we have to give time to the national because we want to bring in um, – the Abu Garcias. We want to bring in the St. Croix, you know, no doubt. We want to bring uh, in all these companies. We want to bring dial in. We want everybody to come and have a booth and have a small, um, what I call a crappie expo size. Okay. Template. And I don't know if you've been to crappie expo and what Wally Marshall does, but he's got the perfect little show and we want that size template and that type of an atmosphere at that event. And it'll be a pay to play deal, just like what Wally does. Sure. And it's kind of spinning Wally spun off of what FLW was with his own format. It'll be the same format on what we're doing in the West coast and give them a true championship. Because right now, if you championships out there, if you qualify through the Western, through the MLF big five, you got to go all the way to, well, those guys went to um, Kentucky and Cumberland last year, you know? Yep. And it'll be Gunnersville this year. So yeah, yeah no, you're going to drive 2,500, 2,700 or more. Mm hmm to go fish a region, a national championship and uh, it's just too much, you know? Yeah. yeah, no. Well, that's, and that's, I mean, for folks who, and, and the details that were released on it that I, that I've heard you talk about. And again, like you said, now you're in the, you're locking everything in date wise, but it was going to be a, it's a championship out West that is kind of combining different organizations, top 10 anglers, right? As far as it, you're taken from all of these to make a true yeah. Western championship. The template we've got right now is we are taking 20 out of the Apex. Mm -hmm. We're taking 10 out of the Wild West Pro-Am, which is an yeah. Apex qualifier. Yep. Um, and we're taking uh, 10 out of the uh, one bass angler of the year between their events. Mm -hmm. And then we're taking 10 out of the Toyota Series out nice West. Fishing Toyota Series, yes. Mm -hmm. So those are that's the template we've got right now. And then to have one true West Coast champion. Very cool. And Very uh, cool. we really want to give the West Coast angler something else to compete with. It's You, you mentioned what are we looking for. It, um, as a brand, we just want to be a part of growing it. 
Yeah. Very and, cool. and, and, and it's something that West Coast has never had a fair shake. Um, you know, you look at any organization going out there, we've asked MLF to hang for a couple of years and they have, yeah. uh, Jim has, I've talked to Jim personally. I've talked to Boyd personally. Uh, we've asked them to hang. It's very difficult because the numbers aren't drawing. Sure. We're, we're hoping once we get this going, we've got to grow angling out there. The South SoCal market's a small market. It's a really unique market in its own. Yeah. The, the belt of what you would say a Gunnersville or a Knoxville or a um, Lake Fork or which is really Sam Rayburn in Texas. Sure. Um, so if you look at the belt in where there's a nucleus to speak of out West, it's really on the Delta. Yeah. Okay. So that, that whole Valley area from North of Fresno running up and uh, it doesn't go all the way to Redding, but it goes in that range a little North of the Delta mm-hmm. and the Folsom area. And you can get in Auburn, Folsom, a little north of there, and even to Oroville, maybe you could say. But uh, that's a really good market in there. There's a lot of anglers. Okay. We did a data study um, in um, the early, late 90s, late 90s. We took a 2007, 8, 9 years. Okay. And uh, actually, we used 2003 to 2006 boat registrations because they were the last true registrations for anybody pilfered them. And when I say pilfer them, they change the way they report them. So, and so back then you were able to pull that data pretty quickly. You're saying as you we have that data. Them. We've got the um, uh, one of the number one of the large three bait chains uh-huh. through Walmart sales across the country. Yeah, and uh, we use Bass membership, and we overlaid all that data. I see. I see. Very. That's why. That's why when Bass asks you, "Hey, what's your boat? What's your what's your motor?" all that kind of questions the motor wasn't left out of it because all we really cared about is where the bass boat registrations were because if they're buying a boat they're buying a motor they're buying a trolling motor they're buying all these goods so we overlaid that data with bait sales by state okay very cool and uh, that's all of walmart sales of terminal tackle by one of the big three okay gotcha and then we also utilized bass membership over that period of time I see. I see. And that gave you, that gave you the data. Yeah. That gave us pretty good data on, you know, if you, if you're, if you're 2% of the market in boats, for example, Mm -hmm. you're probably 2% of the market in baits. I see. And I, it really similarly, I'll tell you another interesting thing about that. You can tell the quality of tackle sales by the quality of anger. So really? Yeah. So you can look at a state, let's just say Mississippi, for example, Sure. Mississippi is a really high um, terminal tackle, um, big three bait sale. Okay. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Um, there are higher percentage of tackle sold there than there is boats. So that really? means your customer, your customer in Mississippi is more likely to be doing something with a, with an off the shelf, Berkeley, Strike King, you know, Booyah, Bradco bait. Your big baits, yeah. Yeah, and when you go to Texas, the there's about 13% of the bass boat market in Texas. Mm. 30%? 13. 13, okay. 13. And, and the bait sales for the shelf box bait companies is about 8%, 9%. I see. Go so ahead. the guys in Texas, they're buying mega bass, they're buying six cents, they're buying... Your premium quality. They're brands. buying more premium product. You can see that same layover in Alabama. I see. That makes sense to me. That so anywhere sense. that bass fishing like Missouri, where it's really hot, you know, sure, you'll see that your big box store um, producers are selling lower percentages in those states where if they, you go into a market um, like, let's just say South Carolina, maybe they sell, and I don't know South Carolina, so this is an off the wall deal. Sure. Maybe they sell a higher percentage of, uh, of uh, box store baits and a lower percentage of boats. Sure. So sure. it was really interesting to compare the numbers across the country and like taking an Ohio or Pennsylvania and all that. And it gave us a pretty good window on where things are happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. I, I just think, uh, I don't know. I like, I like the way you think of, of a macro trends in some of this stuff and, uh, across the country, I just think about that same thing of where maybe there's a lacking. I mean, it's, it, there's no question. I mean, the, the bass boat, 
world is incredible when you get down into Texas and you get into Alabama and these these like you said, nucleuses almost of, of places. And then you have these smaller little places. Um, one question I did have for you with, with Basscat and Yarcraft also being a part of that brand and everything that you guys do. I, I saw my first ever Yarcraft. I was up on Lake Oahe fishing uh, our Bass Nation. Up up there. <laughs> yeah, that is a sweet boat. That is a big boat. I saw, I don't know, this thing had to have been 22 at least feet long. I mean, it was just a monster of a boat, but we were getting off. And of course, you know, it, Lake Oahe gets pretty rough and um, uh, you see a lot of those up there, but that's a, that's a cool deal too. I mean, I'd imagine that market's more your Dakotas, Minnesota, kind of that, that region. Yeah. The bulk of it's in Minnesota. Okay. Just the majority of that market exists in Minnesota. It starts about Wisconsin. There's a little bit of Ohio, Michigan, North Indiana. Um, there's definitely some market there a little bit in the East. Most of that market really fundamentally starts in Wisconsin, goes across to the Dakotas. Okay. And that's the bulk of that market. The two Dakotas, a little bit of Nebraska, a little bit of Northern Iowa, but um, it really kind of starts anything North of the I 70 line of Kansas city, St. Louis. Uh huh. That's where that market starts. Yeah. Makes sense. And probably what you get a couple that are sold down South because somebody wants, you know, a, a bigger boat for some reason or that. Yeah. More for family recreation used in the South. Okay. We actually sell a few in this area and we sell a few like at Washtaw. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a good one for you. Mark Davis is guiding crappie out of a 2095 tiller. Really? Yeah. So wow. he's got a 2095 tiller with a V6 on it. And that's what he uses on Washtaw to guide crappie with. His crappie trips. That's cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well, Rick, I appreciate kind of this background on everything more uh, macroeconomically and that kind of a thing. Let's get into a little bit of Basscat uh, as a brand currently. I mean, one thing that I think that's super unique that you guys do, and would love to hear your insights on as someone who's been broken down on the side of the road a bunch with a trailer before pulling a boat, but you guys build your own trailers in-house. Yeah. Um, what what was that from the beginning? Has that always been that way? Uh, we started building our own trailers about 82. Okay. Okay. So we were 10 years in when we started building our own traders and it was really out of need at the time. We just really needed to, because it was difficult to get them and there weren't a lot of manufacturers traders at the time. So it was easy. We had some empty buildings. Uh, we had an empty building that we weren't doing anything with. It was set up for a different purpose. And we set up a welding shop in it and we went to town and we started up a friend of ours out of, uh, uh Texarkana market was a, was a, actually a trainer for Lincoln. Okay. And so he came in and set us up and uh, showed us how on the welding side, more or less. And uh, dad, and when we started, dad was welding them and I was painting them. Okay. <laughs> and dad hired a welder and I kept painting them. <laughs> yeah, of course, you're still painting them. <laughs> yeah, and I'm still painting them. Yeah. No, but uh, but no, we, we wound up uh, starting in 82 with that. And it was a really good project. It's given us the ability to control our trader quality. It's all U.S. steel, uh, working right now, continuing to develop axle parts, hub parts. Uh, get, we were able to put fiberglass fenders on, which were done years ago. First, everybody wants to say who did fiberglass fenders first. There was a company out of Mountain View, Missouri called Ozark Boats. Okay. And they did the first fiberglass fenders. Really? Yeah. And so that's who actually did it first. It wasn't us. And the guy that owned them was a friend of mine. His name was Red Williams. Okay. So Red had Ozark boats at the time, and he started doing fiberglass fenders on his own traders mm-hmm. and did a good job, you know. But then we've dealt with a lot of trader manufacturers. We do we do buy Yarcraft uh, traders next door to us, not okay. primarily because of the way that uh, they're done. And then we do all of our baskets in-house. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, um, I mean, just walking around a basket trailer, I've always been impressed with just – the little quality things when it comes to the trailer side yeah, and the all PPG paints, 15 inch wheel stock, um, really try hard on those premium boats to do it. And, you know, we did the first grab post. Everybody laughed at it. Uh-huh. Everybody called it a stripper pole, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I could have got Kevin short on camera with the excitement when it, he asked one, th- I asked him one thing he liked. And he said, he said the, the grab post. And I mean, I wish I could have got the emotion in his face when we did that video. Because uh, when we redid the video after I asked him a question, you know, he didn't have that true emotion. Other sure. things he liked. And it was really a cool deal. But um, 
Now the grab post is a big one. Of course, now everybody's got grab posts. Everybody's got some kind of step. Uh, we got a lot of laughing at it, but uh, we've done a lot of stuff that people laughed at, and a lot of stuff people didn't know why, and it's always wound up being a part of the market in time. I like it. Well, that's that's what it seems like. It's always the new pioneering, right? And and we can kind of see that through the new Puma STS model. I mean, just the amount of innovation that you guys are always kicking out when it comes to this stuff. And and like you said, someone may look at that and be like, well, that's that looks way different than things before. And five years from now, every boat may be doing it, you know? Yeah, that Puma STS is a really, really special ride. Um, uh, everybody's going to tell you their boat rides great. Their boat rides the best. Every boat salesman's boat rides the best. Sure. Puma STS is even the Jag STS, which was the first version. Okay. But Puma STS is a special ride. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and to me, just the, uh, the innovation is just the little things like the, the, um, storage latches, right. Being, being that push system and, yeah. uh, that's that's super unique. I mean, little things like that to me are, are what kind of sets sets you guys apart as being on the frontier with this stuff. And we patented that on that dual tier on those rob boxes, and we um, that's actually a design I've had for years. We kept trying to find somebody to make it. I finally built that first latch out of wood myself. Really? Yeah, built the first template out of wood, sent it overseas, catted it, sent it overseas on a CAD, sent the latch overseas. Okay. And uh, uh, had a company build that custom for us. And we worked with Southco. Matter of fact, I got the part on my desk. Uh, we worked with Southco for a long time on this little part, which is the latch under the lid. And we had to micro size it. And it took us about 10 years of working with Southco just on this part. Wow. And they just, they'd come in and they'd have one and they shrunk it a little and they changed the way it fit. Now oh, you're getting closer. You're getting closer. And one day, Alan showed up from South Co and laid that down. And said, "What do you think of that?" Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're just almost there. So yeah. they went in and they ground the top edge, and we changed that edge, and we changed this edge, and it's a double cam latch, and, and that's the part that goes under the lid nobody sees. And I've got striker arms on my desk and all the parts we played with. <laughs> Very cool. I mean, just to talk about, I mean, like you said, that's a ten year process. I mean. The stuff that you're working on now, I'd imagine it's just a refining process that takes a lot of time. I mean, by the time that you end up actually getting something to the market, I mean, how far out are some of the things you're looking at now? I mean, and it's not because you're trying to hold it back or anything. It's just that you want to get it perfect. Well, yeah. And and then even when you do have them perfect, people, it's really been a real challenge on any of these parts because when you get them right and you do get them right, then somebody goes in and redesigns what you did. And it's like, why? <laughs> why <laughs> yeah well it was easier for us well it's not gonna work now <laughs> yeah it's not gonna be the same thing we worked with the company um years ago on a latch and we worked about two and a half years on the latch and we didn't have enough volume to build it and it was a twist latch it was a pretty slick little part mm-hmm. and so we didn't have enough in a, a volume for them to have any volume with us so but not enough you know they wanted 20 30 40 thousand pieces you know and so in getting that they needed to sell it to other people so they went into another manufacturer the gentleman still builds boats today okay so i'm not gonna mention the name sure (laughs) (laughs) but he went into another manufacturer and they said hey we need to what do you think of this part and they said well if you'll do this this and this we'll buy it And uh, they did this, this, and this to it and brought it to me. And I said, well, what'd you do that for? Well, so-and-so said they wouldn't buy it because it's going to cost too much. I said, well, that's good because I'm not going to buy it now because it's too cheap. I like it. I like <laughs> it. He didn't buy it either. He replicated it and took it over to another manufacturer. They copied the latch the way he wanted it. Sure. And they didn't get the volume or the effort. So you got to really work on these deals a long time. It takes a number of years. And then you got to find the right partnership with the company. And that latch, we actually buy parts from four vendors. Really? So it's not one vendor. So there's four different vendor parts in it that we buy from four different people. Wow. And actually wow. a fifth one now, we added a fifth vendor in on one of the parts. And that's just and that's just finding the right, the, the specific, for each one of those little parts, you want the right vendor, highest the, the quality. The ones that are capable of building the parts, right? Yeah. Wow. And, you know, striker arms, they've got to come from another... They've got to come from another vendor. 
this little arm right here. It comes from another vendor. So you got to pick, pick that off a vendor. And then you got rods and springs. All that stuff. Get it exactly. All the whistles right. and bells. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And, and that's just how I've always viewed bass cats is the, um, there's no, there's no sacrifice when it comes to the, the high qualityness of, of again, the premium models. Like we're talking here, there's it, every material. It's meticulous. It's incredible. And my office is usually a pig pen cause it's always got a bunch of stuff in it. <laughs> we're just, we're doing something all the time. I like it. I like it. We're working on projects right now. We, we hope to have some done in 24. Um, they're coming together. It looks like we'll get them done in 24. Mm, nice. And we've got stuff coming out mid-season. I mean, you always got something in the hopper, Adam. Yeah. There's always something in the hopper. Everybody, what's coming out next? Well, doesn't matter. Buy a boat. Enjoy your boat. Next year, there'll be a new one. Yeah. You know, there'll be something <laughs> different. If it's what you want, I'm sorry. If it's what you didn't want, oh, I'm glad I didn't wait, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I never forget I did a Pantera 3 in, in 98 when we finished that out, and some guy just bought a new Pantera 2, and he was so mad because we didn't tell anybody we were working on it. I see. I see. And so you get both sides of that. But on the other side, if, if we'd run into a bubble on where we couldn't get it out, I'd have a guy waiting on it. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, yeah, it's funny that you hear people always with that. Well, should I buy this motor? Because there's going to be a new design next year. And um, I've always been kind of that same mindset. And it's, it goes with everything in life, right? It's kind of the whole debate right now with the, the Bassmaster opens, even where folks are like, well, I was going to do it, but this, it's like, well, you need to just move. You need to just go do it because, <laughs> because I really change. like what Bassmaster's done. I, I did too, Rick. And, and it's, that's, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on it because I had a show on, on that too, with uh Destin Demarion, previous elite series guy who had been out. And, and that was uh, my takeaway too. You know, I tell you, I've, I've had a lot of young men come in this office and I fished the top 100s when they were the top 100s and figured out I needed to build boats, not fish. But <laughs> Decided not to go back because obviously, you know, yeah, you can't, you just couldn't do it. We were gone. I was gone 10, 14 weeks a year and I couldn't fish and fish in my boat company. So, um, yeah. But when you look at what Bassmaster's done, I like the fact that a kid comes in here and I say, kid, a young man out of college, I've qualified for the elites and I'm going to go fish them. And I look at them and I looked at a gentleman and I said, qualify twice why well i've got my chance now well if you've got your chance now and you can only qualify once you need to save your money because that means you're not going to succeed you're not going to make it in the long term you're not going to make it in the long run and there's a few exceptions to that there are guys that hang around for years and made it sure uh, but they paid a lot of money to make it and most of them really, they come out and they, they burn out and it's just a lot more money and time. I think what Bassmaster's done by creating the whole thing through the opens is give a person the understanding of what they're about to go through. I think so too. And, and on my perspective, if anything, it's benefiting anglers, uh, maybe saving a guy a major financial hardship, a divorce, a, a lot of different things that can happen when someone says makes it on those three and had an incredible season to get there and they weren't, weren't really, it, they may get kicked out of the elites two years later. But to me, Bassmaster has taken a risk by doing this because they didn't need to. I mean, that's the thing that's, that's, that's blowing me away is like from a pay to play perspective, entry fees going in, they're already maxed out. There's a hundred boat waiting list to get into the opens. Okay. Yeah. And if people are saying, well, this is going to drop the the amount of anglers, all that kind of a thing. Well, there's no, there's no, I think what they're doing is they're trying to, to make the system better and give people a preview of what it's like on the elites. I think they're going to make the system better. It's going to go through some, some bumps along the way. People having to make choices and I only want to fish this division and, you know, and it's, it's a tough deal because the money coming back on the opens, I mean, it's not tremendous paybacks. So there'll be some people that make the decision of what they want to fish and those are fine. And then there's guys that are just going to wind up going fishing what we know as the BFLs, you know, that's just where they're going to wind up at. Yeah. So in any, you know, you look at like East Texas, you can fish a hundred different circuits in East Texas sure. and there'll be guys go do that and go fish triple T, but uh, definitely bass champs, triple T, all of those down through there. And 
So there'll be definite changes to the way people fish, but the guys that are focused on the open, I think it's going to improve quality. I think it's going to diversify it quite a bit. And I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, Rick, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and just giving a quick synopsis on the bass boat market as it stands and everything at Bass Cat Boats. The question I do ask for everyone at the end of the show, uh, your three biggest largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass, where you were when you caught them and what you caught them on. Largest largest largemouth was a 9-2. Oh, wow. Caught, caught it right here on Norfolk. Really? On it. Yeah, yeah, right here. Caught a 9-2, and this was years ago. I flipped in a bush, caught it, and flipped. Next pitch was a 7-12. Oh, my gosh. Out of the same back bush back. or the bush next to it? Yeah. Out of the same bush or the bush next to it? Next to it. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I've never mounted one. Uh-huh. Um, largest smallmouth is a uh, 712. That is a giant smallmouth. Right? Got a picture of it here somewhere. Um, wow. Seven. That's not it. I've got it somewhere here. But anyway, yep. That is a big smallmouth. <laughs> yeah. Where was that at? Sturgeon Bay. Wow. Yeah, my wife lost one two years later, bigger than that. Um, yeah, just a lot to handle on eight pound line. <laughs> oh my gosh, was on a drop shot or what were you fishing? Uh, grubs. Okay, yeah. I caught that one actually on a mega bass. Okay, yeah. a jerk bait. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that'd be a fun. Um, thing. My largest spot. I'm. I don't really know my largest spot. Somewhere over five pound on bull shoals. Um, I'm, I've had larger ones on. But uh, best spot story was I caught two four twelves back to back on consecutive drops of a spoon. Wow, on the spoon, that's awesome. Yeah, and I had a boy with me. We were at a little draw tournament, and I had a guy that uh, um, Tim Hauk out of Ranger Boats was my partner. Okay. And Tim's in the back of the boat, and I pull up on this rock. It's in twenty eight foot of water, and I drop a spoon. And I catch this four twelve. I catch this four twelve. I catch another one about 12 inches long. And I looked back at him. I said, let's go. He said, it's the craziest thing I ever saw. You just caught two five-pound spots, and you're going to leave? I said, Tim, what you didn't know is there's one rock right here, and you weren't setting it on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so That's- uh, but it was a good story. You know, Tim said he told that story at way and said, craziest thing, catches two five-pound spots, and we leave. they're just taking off yeah but it was one rock in the middle of a cut and i knew they were there you know wow that is awesome so those are my 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 spot stories i don't really know what my largest is somewhere over five but none of the big alabama spots nothing like a bullard's bar that'd be like to go someday i might have to get matt newman to take me there you go That'd be real cool. Those some of those places, man, with those giant spots. I mean, that's still like I would say the majority of folks I get on the show are like, oh, I, I caught a three pounder spot, or I don't I don't know what my biggest spot is. You know, it's not like it's a it, people don't seem to put as as much of it to it unless it's someone from the the southeast on Hartwell and and that kind of region, Georgia, or you got your West Coast guys that go chase the the true giants. Yeah, really would like to. We went out to um, when we fished out at uh, Shasta, one of the proams at Shasta. Mm-hmm. I did all the run around for like going to Trinity and Whiskey Town, and I went and looked at all those reservoirs during that period. And there's some reservoirs nobody's fished out there, and I think they're going to wind up building a road into one of them. And I mean, I really would love to get in there. Wow. And, some hidden stuff, you know, and I think there's some really some great opportunities on the West Coast and some of those California lakes and places people haven't been. You know, you know, we're going and that's been one of my missions, too, was what we've done in going to Laughlin area and going up to Mojave. Oh, we talked. Yeah, we talked off air about Mojave. Mojave's an awesome place. And, you know, it's one of the closer fisheries. You look at me getting drained. Mm-hmm. Mojave actually is really close on the north end up there at Willis or Cottonwood, whatever the one on the north end is. I can't remember, uh-huh. I can't but it's one of the two. But anyway, it's close to Henderson, you know, so you could drop in at Vegas, drive an hour, hour and a half and fish the north end of Mojave. And it's a great fishery. And exactly. you know, there's a lot of stuff that um, I've got a friend got a house down at Martinez. Uh huh. Way further south on that chain. 
Yeah, Martina's awesome place. Yeah. No, that that whole chain, I mean, so uh, I have have an affinity for those places. I mean, Havasu, Mojave, Mead, and then I've never been down to Martinez or that far south end of stuff. But, like, that whole system to me is is um, incredible. And it was my first time this this last year on the Bass Cat, the final day, the championship for a Bass Cat was fishing Mojave after we'd fished the Havasu of the ABA made that final day. And uh, I was blown away. I had never been there before, and it was it was. I think the it's gorgeous. Open's going to show it. Yeah, it's a gorgeous place. Water's gorgeous. Oh, and the fishing's good. Visibility. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you, you can tell we're putting some pressure on trying to use Mojave and trying to use other places that people hadn't been. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at what you did with ABA. You obviously, one bass is going there now because of the situation at Mead. Uh, obviously wild west has been there so we're really trying to use other reservoirs and get people out of their normal box yeah and i think too back to the back to the whole message of 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 bass cat trying to uh expand fishing everywhere i think more and more times you see bass boats rolling to these places you get people asking questions in the cities in the towns and uh i think it's a good way to grow is going to new places i mean if you're always going to Clear Lake and the Delta and whatever else. I mean, those markets have already seen that, but these new places. Yeah, you do Shafts, you do Clear Lake, you do the Delta, you do Oroville. That's what they do, you know? Yep. Yep. It's the same. And the same, same true when you go to, go to Powell, go to Havasu. Yep. Yep. So let's go to Roosevelt, you know, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Cause there's other bodies of water. That's right. That's the thing. Yeah. I'll tell I tell like you, this it. exists everywhere though, Adam. Oh, I think about that too. I mean, I think about like, a, especially I'd say even more so as you go East and South. I mean, the amount yeah, of, you, there's a whole string. You look at Florence area, Muscle Shoals, there's three lakes just South of Muscle Shoals, Florence. They're just great little tucked away places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of them across the country that are tucked away. You look at North Georgia. Yeah. And North Georgia has got all kinds of little spots tucked away. South, Southeast Tennessee amazing fisheries hidden in the mountains there and, no and so there's just all kinds of places and they really don't get any pressure so we really want to see this whole thing not only grow out west but if we get them to go in different places you know and picking a small lake in texas nobody went to and do you think and and i know we're rolling a little long here so uh we can go here in a second but one question i did have was um i mean do you think that that is just because these tournament organizations have built such relations with these towns that it's very hard for them to go and sign a new a new deal per se to go somewhere new versus being at that same place over and over again? Uh, that's one aspect of it is having a convention tourism bureau that's that's a, a CVB or a, or a commission that's really focused on bringing events to town realizes the money they bring to town daily. Sure. So that's one thing, but I really think what it is is fear from a tournament organization to change. Really? From the angler's perspective of saying that they might have anglers upset? Yeah, they, they may change. Okay. So if we're not going to delete them and I go I go to Red River, and I'm not thinking Red River, but let's just say, for example, sure. um, I'm, I'm going to go to Wright-Patman instead of Toledo this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to lose a draw. I see. And, and so there's right really, here. I think, a concern from a from a tournament perspective to to buck the system, so to speak. And I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, you know, I, one of the greatest little organizations is what Kevin Urie's got in USA Bass, and they okay. fish that they, they fish. Uh, and, and you're not familiar with that in Colorado, no. but in the in the other portion, that other eastern portion, south portion, Kevin Urie's got a great little format. He fishes one lake, okay, five or six times a year, one ramp. Really? So the stay-at-home professional guy or the framer, the carpenter, the plumber, the the guy that's a dental hygienist, mm-hmm. he can stay home. He fishes that Saturday. He goes home, sleeps in his bed that night, takes his wife to supper, spends time with the family, and he gets his one day on the water. I like it. And it's a cool deal. It's really a neat format, what USA Bassin does. We'd like to see that happen more with companies like ABA where we can kind of spring it out and, and go to maybe one or two ramps and multiply them. And what it does, I think it brings people into the event and the sport and gives them an opportunity to compete, but yet they, they don't have that travel cost. They don't have a lot of things go along with it. And Kevin does a really cool deal on his championship. He spends a 10-day championship, so he has three championships in a week. Really? 
Yeah, so he'll start a weekend ahead with like the aluminum series. He'll have the large fish section in the middle and then finish up with the Bass Cat champion on, championship on the last weekend. And so if you qualified for any of the three or all the three, you're either going to be here for these two or these two or all three of them. I see. I see. So, so you, you get one championship week and you go do it all. Yeah. Well, Rick, I mean, that's a that's a good point bringing into the sport. I've always kind of am more looking at, at the professional side and that high-level side, but it's how do we get people in from the tournament perspective without maybe causing that overcommitment and having to go and miss – six weeks of work or four weeks of work or whatever it is, is having that ability to, cause that's that entry level. And then you're going to have some guys that take it further and some guys that are content fishing, fishing that weekend deal. Yeah. Well, you know, we're a faith-based group here. And so we're really big in the craft craft story of, of culture. And so yeah. when you look at that, what's about families. And so when you look at the professional side, there's only so many professional anchors. Yeah. We sell a majority of our boats, a tremendous amount of our boats with bigger motors and two fifties. And so those are people that are weekend anglers. Sure. They don't really fish events because like, they can't no. fish those in the BFL. They can't fish them in an MLF. They can't fish it in Bassmaster. So if they're running a 300 Pro XS, that's their fun boat. Exactly. And so if they, they want an event, they can go fish and have fun. And so if you get to those people, those there's a recreational angler out there that can tie over into these small events and give them an opportunity. And they get to fish that with their son, with their daughter, with their brother, with their dad. And, and those are really where we want to see the root of this thing grow. And eventually we're going to have sons and daughters that come out and become pro anglers. Sure. And high school and college are doing that daily. Um, but, uh, and the success rate's going to be the same for all. But to bring these people out, get them engaged in a sport is really important. And I think we grow fishing by it and get them on reservoirs. I mean, there's, there's other areas to fish. So maybe you don't want to go compete with everybody on Rayburn because there's three tournaments this weekend. Yeah, shoot up there to Lufkin and go fish the little lake of Tyler or something, you know. Go fish yeah. the lake to Tyler. Those are really good lakes. Go yeah. fish somewhere else. Get 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 off the pressure and go go catch them good. So Go catch your fish. That's right. I like it. I like it. Awesome, right. Rick. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And um, probably you're the next place that I may run into you. I'll definitely have to stop by and say hi. I'm assuming you'll be at the Classic this next year? We'll be at the Classic. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. We got a lot of shows, industry trade shows coming up in the fall, but we'll be at the classic. We'll be at Redcrest. So Very Adam, cool. we'll see you there, man. Okay. Sounds good, Rick. I appreciate you coming on and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.